Hey, what's going on? This is the Saturday Down South podcast. I am Connor O'Gara. Will, you're back. We've got a good pod lined up today. Um, how was how's your shoot, by the way? How'd that go? Oh, man. So uh, I'm, I'm on... I just did two shoots of the three. I have a big shoot tomorrow for our, our original show called Johnson. Uh, and then last night. Um, so I don't know if you like, this is, you know, in the, in the film business, you know, they have night shoots, day shoots. And once you get into a night schedule, you stay in a night schedule because it, everyone's sleep schedule is already messed up. And so long and short of it is they switched to a night schedule so they could shoot all of their night scenes. So last night I had to go interview Cedric the Entertainer at around 1 a.m. Um, on a Cam- uh, a gimbal, a Ronin that John built that I had never used before. It was chaos. That's like one of those targets that like you got to get. It's like, you know how it goes, right? When you get the Zoom interview with like a big head coach or something, you got to make sure your mic's good. You got to make sure your background's looking fly. And I was sitting there watching this robot camera just fight with me. Like I was actively like almost like punching it outside. Like, babe, C- Cedric's here. We got stuff to do. It's what I am. People don't talk about that enough in the content game. And shout out to all the behind the scenes people that make sure that equipment is good to go mm-hmm. and everything. But every time we do have, you know, somebody on this show or something like that, that that's like a big time guest. There is that moment of panic that I have going in beforehand of like, what if today's just the day my computer stops working? Or what if today's today's the day my microphone stops working? Which that's happened before. We've had big time interviews. I remember last year, I think it was last year. Yeah, it was like a year ago where in the old system that we used, the calls, we we would have like a certain time where the calls would cut out and one day Beamer cut out. Beamer like cut out in the middle of telling this wild story about Spurrier and mm-hmm. his assistant, I call back his assistant and he's like, or she's like, yeah, Beamer's still on the line. He didn't even know that the, that the call dropped. And then I called back. He's like, yeah, I was pouring out my heart to you, man. And I'm like, golly, technology. So if you can get it figured out behind the scenes in the content game, you're good as gold. It's a tough yeah. thing to do. Really we tough. We got it. You know, it was definitely a fourth quarter comeback for your boy, but we pulled out the W. <laughs> I'm running about three or four hours of sleep. So if I say Frank Beamer instead of Shane Beamer, forgive yep. me. I don't hate your team. If I forget somebody's name on the top 10 list today. All right. Well, it's funny because we will talk Beamer. Uh, Beamer's name oh, will yeah. come up a whole lot this episode. Um, we will have my guy, Jim Dunaway with the next round is going to join us to discuss Nick Saban's interesting choice of words related or not related to Nate Oates uh, and a couple other Bama related things. We're going to do the thing I do best in figuring it out. Shout out Kevin Malone. Uh, But first, yes, we're talking Shane Beamer. We've got beef in the SEC, Will. We've got bad blood. Oh, yeah. Don't feel good. Uh, To be clear, the perceived beef is not necessarily a new one. If you follow the SEC, if you follow Kentucky, if you follow South Carolina, spoiler alert, that's who is involved in this. We're talking about Shane Beamer and Mark Stoops, or at least it seems highly likely that those are the two that we're talking about. We're definitely talking about Beamer. We're very likely talking about Stoops. Allegedly. (laughs) Allegedly, they might deny him. him. We will we'll do the full investigation. I promise we'll give you the full rundown. So it doesn't seem like we're just running with something or running what some Twitter reply person said. In case you missed it, Bustin' with the boys, Will Compton, Taylor Luan, two guys who make awesome, awesome content, in my opinion. Love the stuff that they crank out. They went to Columbia. They interviewed Beamer as well as Spencer Radler and Juice Wells. Uh, in the Beamer interview, they asked who's the coach that he'd love to be up against late thinking like I've got UMF and here was Beamer's answer. 
quote, my wife and I literally just had that conversation this morning about a team in the SEC that goes back to who I'd want to fight right now as well. There's one in particular right now that I'm not really high on. And my wife literally just said, we need this year when we play them, yada, yada, yada. Ask me again. Y'all come back during the season and we'll talk about, and then he kind of trails off. Will, you know how I operate. You do. Yes. Even when my gut is telling me that there is an overwhelming thought that one thing is right or that one thing makes the most sense, I need to hear the other side of it, perhaps to a fault. I'm guilty, 100%. That is, and, and sometimes I'll even go down the rabbit hole just to make sure I have opened every single door and made sure that I did not jump to conclusions here. So we went about this in a somewhat educated way, because when you see a comment like that, you could put two and two together and say X plus Y equals Z. Let's at least map this out here. The non-stoops options that Beamer could be mentioning with a coach that he'd like to fight. There are seven because it's an SEC team, right? SEC team that they play. So our options, Kirby Smart, Zach Garnett, Josh Heupel, Billy Napier, Eli Drinkwitz, Jimbo Fisher, Clarkley. Those are the non-stoops options in the SEC. I'm going to eliminate Zach Garnett, um, not because yeah. friend of the program, but because he's a first-year head coach. And unless something drastic happened on the recruiting trail that we just don't know about and haven't been privy to that information, I'd say those odds are pretty slim to none. We can rule out our net, correct? Right. It's like okay. 50 said, like, what's that got to do with me? <laughs> exactly. Head coach. Yeah. yeah, not him. When I heard Beamer say, y'all come back during the season – and if Beamer's wife wants to do something, call me crazy, that sounds like a home game. That does. That sounds like a home game. There's a chance I'm wrong about that. I'm not saying that's 100% certain. But he said, when y'all come back during the regular season, as if to say, like, hey, you know, don't, don't follow us on the road to Texas A&M, whatever. We know that Beamer busted out the glasses at Kentucky. That was last year during the postgame mm -hmm. celebration. He had the sunglasses ready to go, which was absolutely in response to the original beef from Stoops, who talked about building a culture versus building a climate at SEC Media Days, and Stoops referenced throwing on stupid sunglasses, which just happened to be exactly what Beamer did in a video that came out right before SEC Media Days. I realized Stoops denied it thereafter and said that he likes Shane, but you get what we're saying here. I heard y'all come back during the season as if come back when this team comes here. Mm -hmm. fair conclusion to jump to am i reading too far into that oh man if, okay so if he if he's saying it to those people like y'all come back i could yeah i could see that i think that could be accurate i think that would eliminate georgia who in my opinion this is going to be a little bit controversial i think they would have been kirby would have been number two on this list because i get it beamer and kirby they've worked together before beamer worked on his staff publicly he has said positive things about Kirby on these very airwaves. Everything I've heard is that those two aren't grabbing a beer together. Mm -hmm. So look, not saying that means he hates Kirby. He's shown Kirby nothing but respect in the public light. But I would say that for this conversation, because it's going to Georgia and because usually you don't really have a beef with a team that you're just getting kind of, you know, kicked in the teeth by, which that's been the case so far these first two years. I think we can at least eliminate Kirby as well. Yes. I think it also eliminates Tennessee. Again, mm -hmm. road game. Hold on, really quick. I would say that I do believe Jimbo would be second. I think that the way that he reacted when 
Kirby blew the doors off of him does at least mean he has respect for him. Because I think if someone blows the doors off of you like that and you truly hate them, I don't think you give them as much credit as he did after that. Like he was in you know, his program, like we kind of like, like if it was like that, there almost would have been no press conference. You know what I'm saying? Because if you hate someone and they beat you like that, you almost want to limit yourself from talking because everything you say could be a problem. <laughs> yeah, true. True. And you're not planning stuff, you know, like right. he's talking about planning something yeah. with his wife ready to go. I don't want to say don't hold your breath on South Carolina beating Georgia because South Carolina just beat Clemson. I think that's a totally different discussion compared to what this version of Georgia is. I don't think anybody's like sitting there thinking, oh, when we beat Georgia, we're going to do this, this, and this. So mm-hmm. using context, I would eliminate Georgia. Yeah. Also would eliminate Tennessee, which like, because that's a road game. Again, we're, we're right. talking, these are these are road games here that we're eliminating right now. Uh, not sure why Beamer would be thinking about fighting Heupel after he gave the Vols a swirly. And will it be last year? You know, I think Beamer was the one who bullied Hypel. So I don't gave the ball, the balls a swirly. And will he be? Yeah. And I, that's, that's, uh, yeah. Also, Hypel kind of gives me vibes of like, this is going to sound like a weird characterization, but I, I do believe it. It's like he almost, I, I don't think he's a fighter. I think that he would punch down on someone, but I don't think he would ever like take on someone who is an SEC coach in that way. Cause I don't really think he's built that way. I, I think that, so. I don't think, I think Heupel's pretty safe. He, he seems like, nah, I'm not going to get into it. Go on. Well, I was, I, I would agree with you. I, I think in terms of his temperament or the way that he would respond to something like that, he gives me some Fulmer vibes. A little bit. A little bit, not 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 exactly the same, and we'll get to. This isn't going to be the last reference to Fulmer. Um, the way that Fulmer segment. handled business, I think, is also a way that Hypo can handle business. I was trying to not say it that yeah. way. Like the stuff with like the, I could see him doing a little bit of that, like the, yeah. with the Alabama stuff, like that, which is always a rumor. I know that, but I could see him kind of getting at people not face to face. If that makes sense, yeah, like that's not confrontational. Yeah, not necessarily yep. confrontational. Okay, so eliminates Tennessee. I, and again, to your point, I think it eliminates A and M, um, South Carolina was finally able to beat them last year. So this would be an odd time for that rivalry to start anyways, even if that were the case. But again, that's a road game. Also, because of the road game thing, would eliminate Mizzou. Drink. Um, That one would have been kind of interesting because Mizzou owns South Carolina. I don't know if people talk about that. Like Mizzou has this bizarre ownership of the Gamecocks. They've won four in a row in that rivalry. There's got to be like 50% of that Drake extension is just wins over South Carolina. I think he got it right after. Like half of his good wins. Yeah. Yeah, This extension was announced like right after that happened, I want to say. So yeah, the timing of that, not a surprise. But like, and I know the drink likes to ruffle feathers. Drink seemed like he wanted to start beef with Dan Mullen, who just wouldn't really have any of it. Um, And this is going to sound harsh, but I think you need to be better than Mizzou has been to actually get under people's skin. That's that's reality. You know, like we're we're still an eight win season away from Drink actually having a beef that we talk about consistently. Yeah, because you can tell Drink is itching for a beef. Like every time he's got a microphone, he kind of says a little something that like if. Saban said it, it would be like national news, but we're just like, okay, drink. And like, but you could tell he's really, I kind of, you know, that's a good one. I hope they do well this year just so we can see who he decides to randomly start a beat with. Cause it's not specific at all. It's general smoke for whoever the opponent could be that day. He's feisty. He would yes. be feisty as an eight and four coach or as an eight and five coach, because that's what Shane Beamer just did. Mm-hmm. Our, our remaining candidates based on that criteria that we have laid out we think it's a home game it's an sec team obviously 
That would mean Billy Napier, Clark Lee, Mark Stoops. With all due respect to new friend of the show, Clark Lee. Nobody wants beef with Clark Lee. Let's be very clear. Yeah. He's the worst person to have beef with in the SEC. Clark Lee is like fighting the Iron Giant. I would yes. not want to beef with Clark Lee because I think having a beef with Clark Lee would cause them to climb to like seven wins. Like he'd be like, someone hates me. Yes. We're practicing till 3 a.m. <laughs> Nobody has, be- I don't think anybody has beef with him right now. As we, as, as I said in the interview with him, like you're the worst person to get into a fight to because, or get into a fight with because like the fullback, you can punch someone and and then or take a sucker punch and then chase them down afterwards. You're a bad mm-hmm. person to get into a fight with. And with all due respect to him, Beamer and his wife aren't sitting at home talking about what they're going to do if they beat Vandy. Right. That's just not happening. Okay. Yeah. That's that, that's not maybe in time. Eventually it will, but that's that's not happening. Maybe there's a chance. There's a tiny, tiny chance that Beamer would like to avenge the Florida loss against Napier. But don't forget, like Beamer kicked the crap out of Florida in Mullen's final year. And Napier's a pretty reserved dude. Very reserved dude. You can criticize the way that things have played out so far and that, you know, his his quarterback decisions, his play calling, his staff, like all those things are kind of fair critiques, but he's not exactly stirring the pot. That has not been Billy Napier to this point. So all those things we've laid out. I, I even, I, by the way, I went back. This is how bad I am with this. I went back. I looked at the play-by-play of the Florida-South Carolina game. And I was like trying to figure out, ah, did Florida maybe throw the ball like 10 times in a row at the end of that game? And like they let Jalen Kitna throw the ball twice, but it wasn't it wasn't something where they scored 21 points in the fourth quarter. They're running up the score or anything like that. Like they scored all their points early and then it was kind of, eh, you know, call off the dogs. We're going to run the football. So there's not even that. There's not mm-hmm. even that. And I made sure of it. As far as I know, this is this is Mark Stoops. All roads lead back to Mark Stoops. Mm-hmm. And for what it's worth, I know that that Stoops denied he was addressing Beamer specifically with the climate versus culture comments on SEC Network with, with Marty McGee. Um, but everything I've ever heard is that South Carolina has always gotten Stoops' blood boiling. Always. I think there's a few reasons for that. And I think he's kind of justified. I believe, and I'm not saying that he's justified to like, you know, if, if he's going to continue to call out Beamer, I'm not saying that that's totally justified. But if you just kind of peel this back a little bit, it makes sense. I believe this goes back to each and every year being told while Muschamp was there that South Carolina was the better team and that they should be favored to beat Kentucky every single year. Stoops took over the worst program in the SEC in 2013. By the way, don't forget that that was the worst program in the SEC. It was not Vandy, who had James Franklin at the time. It was Kentucky, no questions asked. They didn't beat a single SEC team in year one. It was a two-win season. They had so much work to do. Year two, Stoops beat Spurrier. Year three, Stoops beat Spurrier again, this time in Columbia after the Gamecocks were picked to finish ahead of Kentucky, and they were favored by a touchdown. Year four, now Muschamp is there. That game is in Kentucky. Cats win that one too. Year five for Stoops. South Carolina is again picked to finish ahead of Kentucky. And get this, South Carolina is a touchdown favorite in Columbia, but Stoops wins by 10. Year six for Stoops. South Carolina picked to finish second in the East while Kentucky, after a historic season, its best season since the Jimmy Carter administration, is picked to finish fifth. R.I.P. legend. 
wait, that happened. Well, we already did the the whole like eulogy thing. Oh my god, don't do waiting. that to me. Don't yeah. do that to me. I'm sorry. God, Will. We already did okay. the eulogy thing. I just want right. to remind you know. That's goodness gracious. Sorry. Scare me. I thought there was breaking news in the last like no. 45 minutes, man. You can't do that to a guy. I don't I don't need that today. I, I can't have it. Should, can't have it. Pay my respects, Connor. I well, no, we will. We will. <laughs> I promise. Um so that year, year six. Stoops, one point favorite. This is be, be, beat him by two touchdowns. Like that, that's that's what happened, by the way. Like in that season, that that historic season, 2018, by the way. That to me is is what is at the root of all this. And still, after five consecutive years of beating South Carolina, not even letting the Gamecocks cover a stinking spread, after Stoops inherited the worst SEC program and turned them into a 10-win team, South Carolina still picked to finish ahead of Kentucky. That's crazy. And meanwhile... South Carolina is a school who gets the $50 million facilities upgrade that launched back in 2019. While Stoops is out here just begging, begging Mitch Barnhart to get an indoor facility. You better believe that's at the root of all of this. It is. And I don't blame Stoops for feeling the way that he feels. And I don't blame Beamer for feeling the way that he feels. They're very different people who see the world through a different lens, despite the fact that they both come from football families where they had to work really, really difficult to not be second fiddle in their own direct family in terms of coaches. And I think that's something that they have in common. It's probably something that they, whether or not they want to admit it, like might be at the root of why they have this chip on their shoulder. They they kind of want that beef. They, they're leaning into it a little bit. I so, think they are. Yeah. So I was going to say, you know, it's crazy that like coaches kind of like gaslight themselves into being kind of like in worse situations than they are. And that like, like Beamer, him being, you know, like, like him having this role is like the new kid on the block, despite like having this legendary father as a coach. And we've talked about it before, how he's done that really well. And that's his brand. He's like this firebrand guy, but you know, he speaks as if he's like the guy from nowhere. And, and I, but I haven't thought about the Stoops element of that as well. We're like, yeah, I mean, family of coaches, like they're all, and to your point, it's like, he's had to fight and claw to get out of the shadow. So, I mean, let's like try to, you know, go a little bit deeper on this. And this is, I'll definitely let you, give your opinion because i don't even know well enough but i mean do you do you think it's that do you think that 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 it's about you know mark saying okay i built this program from nothing i was in my brother's shadow and that now i did this and now you're going to come up here and do you think he do you think you see shane as like a silver spoon kid or like what is there's some i don't even get it because they should be pretty similar right i think he sees him in in that way to a certain extent i'm not saying that that he doesn't think that beamer didn't work really hard to get to where he is. I think it's more of a reflection of South Carolina in general. Okay. And Beamer and, and and Stoops obviously have different styles in terms of how they market themselves. They're, they're different human beings. If you look at the way that their social media team kind of handles <laughs> them, the way that Justin King kind of dials things up for South Carolina, Gosh, the idea that is that he comes such up. such a legend, man. Dude, that guy is a savant. If you don't know college football, social media, like Justin King yeah. is all over it. He's as good as there is. And there is there is a an effort on that side, and there is a different sort of effort with Kentucky. And Kentucky has built up Mark Stoops and, and who he is as a person, who he is, like his brand of coaching in a different sort of way that speaks to his nature. And that's good for Stoops, and that's good for Beamer, and that's okay. The fact that South Carolina is at this place 
where they get this unbelievable facilities upgrade and they continue to be told. It's one thing to be told you're not going to be good as, as good as Georgia. It's another thing to continue to be told you're not as good as South Carolina. And mm-hmm. I think that more than anything, because I know Stoops and Muschamp ain't grabbing a beer. Huh. They're not. That There's no love lost there. This is about South Carolina and kind of what it represents. And the fact that Beamer does his business the way that he does has probably ruffled some feathers. And so that's why it goes back to the original point of the argument, climate versus culture. Hmm. What what are you doing to show that you can sustain to show that you can sustain that? Because for as long as Mark Stoops has been at Kentucky, South Carolina has not sustained it. Even at the very tail end of the Spurrier era, think of the timing of when he gets there in 2013, just after South Carolina has that historic three, four year run with Spurrier. So he didn't get that sort of exposure. And instead he's comes in and is told they're going to be better than you. They're going to be better than you each and every year. And even when you get down to the context of the game, he's told that. And so that is where I think this all goes back to. Stoops is such an interesting guy, man, because, uh, you know, if, if it comes to, you know, the need to be appreciated or pursued, I mean, he's done a really like a really um, uh, uh, deliberate job of not being tied to coaching rumors. He's done a really deliberate job of. And so like point being, you know, he knows he's not, you know, he's not dumb there. You know, there's always a market for him because everyone knows he's a great coach, but he doesn't do the Lane Kiffin, right? He doesn't do the, oh, well, this job is looking at me. This anyway, you've heard rumblings here and there, but those were probably to get a contract extension. It didn't seem like he was ever really. Florida, Florida yeah. State, a little, but little like, bit here and to there. To me, yeah. to me, and you tell me if I'm wrong, okay. it never really feel like he was leaving. Like it felt like he was just kind of doing the typical Jimmy Sexton. Um, and so it's interesting because if his vibe is like, no one believes in me, it's like, well, you, you know, if you wanted to be gratified, you could do a little bit more of the public show, you know? And so I really don't know. He's a really interesting guy. And I, and maybe it's like the hard work element and not that, not that he thinks Shane Beamer doesn't work hard, but he just plays this really hard nosed brand of football and he hasn't really have hasn't really had a lot of guys. I mean he's had a few like you know flashy guys, but not I mean not a ton. Um and, and maybe it's you know, oh you bring in Spencer Radler, you bring in these but see he now has Leary. So it's like I don't really I don't get it. Like I, I see what you're like I see what you're saying and I think what you're saying is probably the closest thing to the right answer that we could get without talking to stoops directly. But it's like I just feel like these, like I said, these are just so similar. And, and maybe it's the way he talks. Maybe it's the way it's, maybe I'm making it too hard. Maybe it's just how he conducts himself. And he's this younger guy. He wants to have fun. He wants to be about the social media. And and maybe Stoops just wants the lights off of him. And he sees a, a quote unquote me first guy and doesn't like that. I don't know. I've, I've watched Stoops get a different shade of red when the subject of disrespect comes up. Yeah. And I've seen that up close and to see, what kind of gets under his skin because at the root at the root of it like he wants that i think there are people who want that disrespect and we talk about all the time now it's overplayed i don't need travis kelsey getting up in front of a microphone telling me that everybody picked the chiefs to finish last in their division or whatever like i don't need that just because one person said that and it's overblown it's totally overblown but i think there are people in this profession who kind of like having a beef whether they admit it publicly or not They like having that beef, at least some sort of inner dialogue of this person who is somebody that motivates you. Jimbo Fisher, Nick Saban, like their beef, that whole thing happened. Mm -hmm. When they had their back and forth, it was taken to another level, I think, because of the similarities. 
because yeah. of the similarities with Jimbo Fisher having that personal connection to Nick Saban, and it drives him in a different sort of way. Jim, Fisher says that he learned what not to do from Saban, but Fisher's motivation to beat Saban, like it fuels what he does. And if you don't think that, go back and read that article in The Athletic, which I was reading earlier today. Great story Andy Staples put together. Cole and, and Jordan pointed out on the SEC Network broadcast about how Fisher would bust out all this pre-motion like pre-stat motion stuff for Alabama that he wouldn't for other teams. And it looked like they spent so much more time game planning for Alabama because of Fisher putting that on the pedestal of that being like his beef, his thing that he above all else, he needs to be able to take care of almost to where it's blinding him to have a beef is to have a motivator, an additional motivator. There are people I want to be better than in this business who have motivated me at times. I have mm -hmm. people I don't like in this business and I'm not going to call them out, but yeah, I'd like to destroy them in everything I do. I truly would. That's not my primary motivator. It's not. I'd rather put food on the table. I'd rather be able to pay a mortgage. I'd hopefully be able to like send my daughter to college in the event that her long snapping scholarship doesn't pan out. And maybe I'll have enough money to save like just saved up to go buy a house in Dunedin to go kayak and ride bikes and go to spring training baseball games and write books and do all that stuff and just live a nice life with my wife. That motivates me. All right. Okay. It does. Sounds like it. Yeah. <laughs> if your sole motivator is beef, you're going to tire out. You just will. You're the dog chasing the truck. Like that's, that's the thing I keep coming back to. But if you've got one of those, I do think it can help you and it can just get you going on those days where you don't quite have it. And it's honestly kind of weird that we don't have more beefs in the SEC, at least publicly. For a conference that is so competitive, it really isn't cutthroat among coaches in the way that we talked about with the Southwest Conference in its yeah. heyday, which led to its demise. And you might be saying, what about Kiffin and Saban? Hmm. That ain't beef. That's yeah. respect. Yeah. That's well, let me say this too, because I do think that you did hit on something important. I think that not consciously, I think that if you were, you know, true serum talk to these guys, I, I think that there is a beef there, but maybe subconsciously there is an element of transactionality, a transactional nature to this beef, which is that they both need a reason to get up and and tell, you know, somebody's doubting you, somebody's doubting you. And both of these programs are in a place where they don't really have, I mean, hey, Shane Beamer's a realist. He's not going to go get a beef going with Dabo, all right? That's not smart, all right? He's not, there's not a natural rival. There's not a natural coach to really bump into. And with Stoops, you know, he's the elder statesman of the SEC East. You know, he's, there's not a lot of guys who really dislike him. And I'm thinking about it, like, I was like, well, what's the second beef Stoops had? It's the closest we've had is like Calipari. Like, I, there's not really anybody else who has like. Recently. You no, know, right, Recently. but I'm, okay, well, like, historically, has he had beefs with anyone else in the SEC? Uh, there was, let me think, did he ever have beef with Mullen? I don't think he had beef with Mullen. There's one that I'm definitely forgetting. Did he have, I mean, nobody got along with Scott Satterfield. At Louisville, <laughs> so that wouldn't surprise me. Um, no, it's a fair point. It's a fair point. It's, it's not really in his nature to manifest something like that must champ. I mean, it's, it's, it's a South Carolina thing. Like must champ is yeah. the only guy where I would think to myself, Oh yeah, Stoops like really doesn't like it. But Muschamp's just that way. Lots of people hate Muschamp. Muschamp's True. a hateable dude because True. he's the way he is. Like I don't hate anyone who dislikes Muschamp because I understand it. You know what I'm saying? Even there's a guy who's kind of similar to him. I'm like, yeah, that guy's really loud and annoying. Uh, so like, point being, like, yeah, I think that there is a little bit of that where it's like both of these guys want to have that and they found it in each other. And so like maybe in 20 years we have like this kind of like 
look back like 30 for 30 if they go on to do great things and Stoops already has done great things but you say you know like the Kobe Shaq thing where it's like you motivated me to you know push my team a little bit harder and get that win and we knew that because because going back to your point okay Kiffin Saban okay Saban and um and Jimbo okay must champion whoever okay Kirby that's all one coaching tree. Those are coworkers. Those are people who have been to each other's houses. Those are people who have long histories and have some sense of betrayal between each other. That's a personal conflict. Stoops and Bieber don't have that. There's nothing True. like when you're talking about that type of situation where guys have like deep seated, like real, real, real history, anything could have gone wrong behind those meeting doors and we would just never know about it. With you know, with this stuff, it's like, oh, wow, did somebody look at you weird? What happened? <laughs> they're yeah and look like they're not going to come out and and squash anything yet. yeah like I, I don't expect stoops to come out and be like oh yeah like every, everything is just good and then we will never see anything about this ever again i i would imagine this is going to continue and this is this is a different kind of thing if you you know i remember last year when we were uh you know discussing the, the save and jimbo thing and we were looking back on some historic beefs in, in the sec <laughs> at least among coaches and like this is totally different than the spurrier fulmer thing i mean that almost became like Spurrier was the annoying kid in class and Fulmer was the substitute teacher, you know? Like that's a good one. Yeah, that's true. That's very exactly how that was. You can't spell citrus without UT is like the kid who tells the substitute teacher that his name is hot dog or something like mm -hmm. that. <laughs> that's that's what it is. That kid is going to get a laugh just by saying that, which was all that he was looking for. You know, it's not the point isn't so that, you know, they have this back and forth. That just wasn't the relationship. Like Fulmer, Fulmer would just do everything he could to try and avoid when Spurrier would troll him all these times, knowing that in the position he was in, he really couldn't come like over the top with anything because it wasn't who he was and it was never what he was there to do. Side note, my mom did some substitute teaching back in the day. And the horror stories that she would come home with were oh yeah, terrible. Like kids switching name tags. One kid even stuck lemon heads up his nose and then shot them at the band instruments. Um, my mom came home crying that day. I also ended up going to middle school and high school with that kid who became my best friend and stood at my wedding. Shout out to Bronson. Yeah, true story. That's Bronson. That's Bronson. You talk about him all the time. That's I hilarious. Know. Isn't that crazy? Yeah, he still yeah. brings that up every once in a while. He feels terrible about it some 25 years later. But like substitute teachers, yeah, they live a tough life. They really do. Um, Here's another weird Southernism about me. I have a friend named Hot Dog. Wait, What? Yeah, my buddy TL, um, he his brother's just goes by Hot Dog Dickens. His name's Hot Dog. Get my phone. Is it birth certificate or is this? No, it's like a nickname. But I mean, their names are TL and Hot Dog. So I mean, like birth oh. certificates are irrelevant to this family. Whatever. Okay. They're, from, they're from North Carolina, big NASCAR fans. That Of course, Hot Dog Dickens. Hot Dog. That's a good racing name. I like it. It really is. Isn't it? Oh, right. Here man. he comes around the turn. Hot Dog Dickens. He's getting... <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> what were we talking about oh yeah personal beef with two people who are considered at the same level like you talk about you know you can't if you're beamer you're not all of a sudden gonna start start a beef with kirby you're, you're not at that place it doesn't make a whole lot of sense same level it, it is incredibly entertaining to us the consuming public and for those of us who don't have that vested interest and in like to be 100 honest with you had beamer on the show we've had stoops on the show i like both guys had them on both times like they're they're great they've been they've always been really good really respectable to me so i don't have a dog in this fight it's almost like i, I got two dogs in this fight i didn't mean to make a michael vick reference but here we are um it is why there is such an obsession with the nba right now there is such an obsession with NBA content. Everyone just goes on podcasts and calls each other out, or they post cryptic things on social media related to that. Will, you consume NBA content all the time. 
that's like the majority of what you consume, is it not? Yep, that and transactions. It's not the actual sport. That's actually kind of like a problem they have now. Yeah, it's like if you're in the NBA and if you don't have a beef, you're probably not very good. Yep. That's why everybody hates Dylan Brooks right now. They're like, shut up. You're not good enough to have all these beefs. You're just yep. not. You're not Draymond Green. You're not. Okay, Dylan Brooks, no, not on that level. Kentucky and South Carolina are both programs who have gotten to a place where they feel like they deserve respect. Nobody is out here asking for respect when you go five and seven. I don't know if Beamer and Stoops respect the journey that the other person took to get to their current level of success. Maybe they do. Maybe they don't. Stoops's climate versus culture thing was said before Beamer did what he did in 2022, which obviously he won up his year one. You beat Clemson, you beat Tennessee. These things suggest you took that next step. Beamer walked into a situation where he had a rebuild, but he also had things that Stoops couldn't get from a facility standpoint. Kentucky was the last program in the SEC to get an indoor 120-yard field, and that'll change later in the year. They're finally going to get that. Here's what I mean by that. My guy, Nick Roush, wrote about this for KSR. Shout out, KSR. Um, their issue is that they share the facility, the indoor, with the track team. So that limits the size of it, and it's a surface that's built for track. So you're at greater risk for injuries. They don't even have quarterbacks going under center in, in this. All right? Like, that's that's what we're talking about here. Stoops has been banging this drum forever. You know, so when you say it out loud, it makes sense, doesn't it? Yes, it does, Will. Yes, it does. <laughs> Sounds like their quarterbacks needed a couple more reps or let go. Yeah. And so, you know, Other like, than Levis. Levis is awesome. Not talking about him. Pretty yeah. much anyone before him, actually. <laughs> like if, if you get bad weather and you're just like, well, crap, man, this is going to be a limited day. It's, it's going to be a limited day. And, you know, they're they're outside all the time, obviously. Like you, if you drive by the facility, like you literally see them outside on most days. But that is, yeah, that 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 hurts them in that in that regard. So they're they're getting a new indoor track facility on a different area of campus, and they're going to rip up the turf that they currently use so that they can make it regulation size and do what everybody else in the SEC has done, including Vandy. That that stuff matters. It does. Stoops is as blue collar as it gets, but even he knows those things matter if you want to take that next step to get more talent in the door and to make sure that they aren't limited in any way with how they practice when the weather doesn't cooperate. So maybe there's a little bit of that like jealous sibling deal with Stoops. They're like 10, 10 years apart, Stoops and Beamer, which is kind of weird. I always think yeah. Stoops is a lot older, like 10 years. Yeah. Um, it's hard to fathom beating someone like that five consecutive times. And to still be told, hey, you're not as good as they are in both the polls, like in Vegas, in resources, everything external is telling you, oh, no, that other program, it's still better than you. And you're like, what? What do I have to do? What do I have to do? So but I think that's a carbon copy of the Calipari thing. It's the, um, it's a carbon copy because exactly yeah, like, again, yeah, the beef is, is not even with this team. This team is a vehicle of the beef. The beef. Kind of is with the athletic director because it's like, come on, bro. You see how hard I'm working. How come they get this? How come they get this? It's like, I don't think he wants to beat up Shane Beamer because he gets those things. I think he wants those things, ultimately. Yes, he wants those things. He does want those things. And Mitch Barnhart is in a very awkward spot as a result of that. He definitely is. And that is kind of what I think allows stuff like this to boil to the surface. It's not just as simple as like, ah, you know, I thought that video was kind of stupid. I'm going to go 
throw a jab at him, you know, in the next interview. Like there's there's more that goes into this. There just is. And at the same time for Beamer, I wouldn't like it if someone told me that I was only building a climate and not a culture. Beamer worked his tail off too, as you talked about. He could have stayed by his dad's side and tried to just pull the Brian Ferentz move to be the coach in waiting forever and just tried to fail up at Virginia Tech and just hope that one day daddy's going to pass over the program to me. You know what he didn't do? He decides, I'm going to get out of here. I can't just learn how to do this by one person, my own flesh and blood. I'm going to go work with all these great coaches. And that's what he did. Sylvester Croom, Steve Spurrier, Kirby Smart, Lincoln Riley. He works with all of these dudes. Clearly, even though Stoops being 10 years older, he lit a fire under Beamer. And it didn't matter that a month after that comment, Stoops said that he wasn't addressing Beamer and that he liked him. Beamer did not care about the fact that he beat Kentucky when it was without Will Levis. They didn't care. His team went into Lexington as an underdog and beat a Kentucky team that at that time was ranked number 13 in the country. And Beamer in the postgame was like, hey, he said it was, you know, stupid sunglasses. And he felt that that was a direct attack at him and what he's trying to do at South Carolina. I am sure that in that moment, Beamer's thinking to himself, I thought a culture could overcome one injury. What's up, Kentucky? Why can't you beat us? Fair point. No, yeah. I mean, look, whatever the case, Beamer's daughter rocked the sunglasses at a night game, fully night game. Okay. Not an afternoon game, night game. At, it, that happened in the post game presser where Beamer then addressed that, addressed all that and said he was, you know, felt like he was the subject to that. And then the post game video with Beamer putting the shades on. Yep. It was all there. Even if this is a little bit blown up in their own minds. So what? We need a great back and forth like this. This is good. Style, sell fights. That's what they say. People want storylines. It's how we got all these people suddenly interested in F1. It's crazy. Mm -hmm. Like Mm -hmm. now every single league is saying, wait a minute, we should do a documentary style show that makes people care about our athletes. What a concept. People care about that stuff. You're darn right they do. I'm here for it. I hope both troll each other every chance they get and not just via the the team's social media account. Those are basically every single game now. It's almost getting a little bit overdone. It's great, but you know, Mm -hmm. it's it's better to have an actual beef. I think having two people like this in the SEC is great. Even if they act cordial in public, I think Truth Serum would tell us that they take great satisfaction in beating one another. And that is awesome. It's great. Let's not complain about this. We can pick sides if we want. I hope Beamer knows that South Carolina just gave Kentucky the perfect opportunity to troll. If Kentucky goes into Columbia and wins that game this year, Stoops shows up to the post-game press conference, boxing gloves and a robe. Come on. Come on. That's great, right? (laughs) See, one of the reasons why I love Shane Beamer is that I feel that just like me, as he gets better, he will become more annoying. And I just can't wait. I want to root for him to win 12 games so that I could see him in like a full, like uh, Optimus Prime suit. Like, okay. I, feel, I feel, I feel like Bieber is the type of dude that just has so much fun with like, it's like every win is like plus 10 fun points. And then at the end of the year, he just catches in all of his fun. And he's like, here's what I did this year. And this year he had so much fun. And so I just hope to keep seeing him have fun. Cause it's going to rub more people the wrong way. <laughs> it's hard to rise in this sport and not piss people off on your way up. Mm-hmm. You're going to. You're just going to. Like that that is reality. I mean, Saban when he was coming up at LSU, 
And you could say he's coming up in Michigan State. But when he's coming up at LSU especially, he's pissing people off back in the day, pissing off Alabama people back in the day. Vinny I mean, pissed off all the LSU people. Now everybody's pissed off. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. <laughs> it is really difficult to make everybody happy. Shane Beamer is not going to be for everyone. But South Carolina fans are feeling really good about him. And Kentucky fans are feeling really good about Mark Stoops, as they absolutely should. I'm, I, I hope that these teams, with likely the 3-6 schedule, get to play each other every year. Ross Dellinger's league schedule has these two teams playing each other every single year. Sankey, it's, come on. Trying to sell games. Yep. I'm watching Kentucky, South Carolina every year. I'm watching it. Everybody else should be too. They want to see these coach throw, see these two coaches throw hands. I'm just saying. I'm very excited not to do this whole thing again. I promise. But we've got two real prime beef candidates coming in the SEC here, man. Because you got Sarkeesian, who goes without saying, certified nut job. Yes, insane. Like you saw the video of him, like just knocking Before the crap the game. out of it. Oh, Rand- yeah. yeah, the random guy, like just like a random guy, and. <laughs> And then Venables has a little bit of that Stoops Lee in him where it's like, I've been a defensive coordinator for 30 years. <laughs> Everyone doubted me. He's nice. I love him. I've definitely seen a little bit of like that dog in him, but I'm just waiting on, that's the next guy being ready to bump into is, is Venables. He's just going <laughs> to come back and be missing a hand. <laughs> uh, Venables will be tough because Venables has the upper hand on him for now for you know beating him. Uh, at Clemson year one I mean yeah. say, say what you will about that I mean that I don't know how much that's bragging rights but yeah the 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 beefs with the beefs when they get personal are better it's one thing yeah. to just you know you can throw the horns down you can do that that's fine that's fun that thin skin oh god they're such a perfect match Sarkeesian and Texas aren't they I was gonna say how do you have that thin skin the coach for that skin thin skin fan base yeah, that's why <laughs> they are the same. They are just kind of, and I'm not going to like, yeah, I'll dump on Sarkeesian, whatever. It's like, here's your resume and here's what you've gotten out of it. And that's exactly what that dude is. That fan base and him are just lockstep. It's like horns down. Somebody said horns down. I'm going to file a complaint. He's got that job out of it though. I mean, exactly. Yeah. Hey, look, Hey, guys doing something right. And hopefully we will get more future beefs. That's, that's the beauty. Adding more characters in, we're going to hopefully get Stoops and Sarkeesian, I think is, could be a good one too. Cause that's another guy like silver spoon, not really silver spoon, but you know, saving assistant, got all the nice quarterbacks, nice recruits, nice facilities. I can really see those guys going at it. Offensive mind against the defensive mind, yep. you know, something like that. Yeah. That'd be good. New rivalries. We need them in the sec. The quarterback is the only thing that matters. The quarterback does not matter at all. Two very different philosophies. I'm going to tell, I'm going to tell, uh, we'll get Devin Leary on the pod sometime soon, hopefully. And I'll, I'll tell him you said that, that he doesn't No, matter. I mean, he's changed and that's why the last couple of years have been a little bit better. Not exactly last year. Cause they only had a quarterback, but like, yeah, I think he's starting to adapt, but for 10 years, he was just like, you know what? Anybody we're taking, look, we're taking reps on the track field. Anybody's back there, all right? Poor neighbor Terry Wilson, man. Golly. Poor ACLs. Again, a lot of things are starting to make sense because they they ended up with it. Anyway. Yep. All right. Let's kick it to Jim Dunaway. Uh, Before we do that, a quick word from our friends at Underdog. As you know, if you listen to this podcast, sports betting, it is not legal in a bunch of SEC states. I want to talk to you about Underdog Fantasy. You might have tried Daily Fantasy in the past, but Underdog is a new platform that's extremely popular right now. They have some awesome contests where you can compete for real money. It is a great way to scratch that sports betting itch. We have an exclusive arrangement with Underdog. If you go to SaturdayDownSouth.com slash Underdog, you can automatically double your deposit when you join. Sign up, throw in 50 bucks, they'll throw in 50 more dollars. It's a great way 
way to get some money to play in these contests. You can pick higher or lower for different players. Really, really similar to sports betting player props. You can put real money on the line. Yes, legal and live. You can do it in all these SEC states like Alabama, Georgia, Florida, Texas, etc. All those states, you can do this. Underdog's awesome. Super fun to do while you're watching any sport in your living room. Do it while you're watching March Madness. Great way to get in on the action. As I continue to say, if your bracket is busted, it is not on underdog. Head over there. They're going to hook you up. You can win real money doing this. Go to SaturdayDownSouth.com slash underdog. Take advantage of our promo where underdog will double your first deposit up to $100. $100 absolutely free. That is SaturdayDownSouth.com slash underdog. All right, let's kick it to Jim Dunaway. Now excited to be joined by a very special guest. It is the great Jim Dunaway. Host of the next round. Um, by the way, this is the first time I've ever had a guest on where I have been repping their show. Um, <laughs> so consider yourself lucky. Rocking the next round uh, hats, which you guys were gracious enough to send my way. I wear this all the time. I, I went on a hospital tour the other day and uh, somebody comes up to me and is like, oh, like next round, like, do you golf or something like that? I'm like, ah, it's, it's, it's actually not related to golf. It's like, you know, a show that my, that my friends do and stuff like that. And I told him about the show, but I think the guy was a little bummed that I didn't golf. Yeah. We, we had um next round as a, a shooting range and ammo company. Uh, somebody thought with the logo that it was the next ground. They missed that. It didn't have a G They thought it was a coffee shop. They wanted to know when the coffee shop opened. Ooh. Um, so it, it had some unique names, but the next round of golf was one of the, the reasons why we chose that. So good by him. Next round coffee company. I want dibs on that. I need, I need, yes. that's, a, that's a really good idea. Okay. Uh, so you're heading, you guys are heading to Louisville right after this, this interview. Um, are, you're going to see Alabama in the sweet 16. Will you be carpooling with Nick Saban? I uh, will not be carpooling with Nick Saban. He's got that little uh, pro day going on and then spring drills. It'll be interesting to see when Nick makes it to his next basketball game. Uh, when he first got there it, back in the day when he was building the program, there was always a big recruiting weekend that usually timed out with the Auburn game when they would also award uh, sometimes the Alabama-Auburn ODK trophy, the winner of the football game. And he would be there that night with some big recruits in a packed um stadium the football rivalry and the basketball programs come a long way in 16 years uh but Nick Saban's made it to several games this year more than any other time in his career and they mostly have come after the uh the murder back in January when the program really needed some folks standing by its side and Nick Saban's been that guy uh since the Kentucky game the Arkansas game those were two games I was at that I had a chance to to see and talk to the coach Okay, so let's dig into this. Um, by now, everyone has probably already seen the comments or maybe the tweet from from Mike Rodak, or they watched the clip of, of Saban saying that Tony Mitchell was suspended from the team and that they were still gathering more information on the situation. But Saban said, and this is the thing that's made the rounds, quote, everyone's got an opportunity to make choices and decisions. There's no such thing as being in the wrong place at the wrong time. Um, that was a month after Nate Oates, of course, was skewered for saying that Brandon Miller was in the wrong place at the wrong time. What was your reaction to the way this played out? Well, when Nick Saban first said that, that, of course, was being a media person, the first thing I thought of as well, because the two comments were so, you know, almost exactly alike. But I've known Nick Saban now being the firm, former host of his show for a long, long time. And I do know that he is a guy that is very pointed with his comments. He knows exactly what he's talking about, but he also has this tremendous tunnel vision 
of football, 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 especially when he's in season. And this was after the first spring practice. I believe that two things can be true, that he very much supports what Nate Oates is doing with his basketball program and him as a coach, and they are friendly. I've been around them several times. And that he made those comments, not intended at all for it to be directed at the basketball program. But the fact of that, those comments being made, absolutely is the way Nick Saban runs his football program. Uh, he lays it out for his guys. There are no excuses. Um, you're responsible for your conduct. Now, that always opens up the next question. If he had a situation like Alabama, like Alabama basketball is dealing with, what would Nick Saban do? He would tell you right off the bat he doesn't answer hy hypothetical questions. So I don't know what he would do. And I don't think anybody else in America knows what any coach would do in that situation. Uh, do I think it was pointed at Nate Oates and the program and the way they handle it? No, I do not. And both guys have gone out of their way since the comments were made to talk to each other, to do a made-for-television media opportunity yesterday. Um, but it was interesting, the terminology that was used by Nick Saban. But I know the guy to have such great tunnel vision that I don't think it was at all directed at Nate Oates. For those at home who don't necessarily know this, when the very viral comments of Nick Saban saying that Jimbo Fisher bought his recruiting class, when that went viral, Jim is literally on stage with with Nick Saban and Nate Oates when this is happening. So like when he says he has seen them interact, I need the people listening to this to know that you know this dynamic. Counterpoint. And I agree with you 100%. I think Nick Saban supports basketball. I don't have any sort of question about that. It was very convenient that Alabama, of course, you know, went out of its way to make sure that, no, this is not a severed relationship. It is not a situation like that. Is it possible that he had a problem with the way this was handled and the fact that everybody and their mother is talking about Alabama in a very negative light, a university that Nick Saban has been building up for the last 15 years and has put as much legwork into that place as any one person? And I think that's fair to say. Is it possible that after hearing this for a month and, oh, Alabama, that's where you go, and if you want to get away with whatever, that's where you go. Is it possible that he said, you know what, I'm going to come out against that that response and it doesn't necessarily mean that i am anti-nate oats or anti-alabama basketball is it at least within the realm of possibility to think that he was frustrated by that comment and the way that the university was perceived afterwards well i think two things first are important one nate oats himself did not like those comments because he made those comments and then two days later the next time he was uh, behind a microphone he himself apologized for the wrong place, wrong time. So he didn't, like, yep. he didn't like that. Um, so I'm sure a lot of people didn't like those comments. And Nate Oates himself admitted they were the wrong choice of words. So he backed up two days after he made those comments originally. Um, I have not asked Nick Saban whether or not he you know, likes the way it's been handled or not. I can only go by what I, what I have seen and what I know of Nick Saban. And I would tell you, that if Nick Saban had a problem with the way the university or the way Nate Oates had handled this situation, he would not have inserted himself into the situation by showing up at the next big basketball game with the nation watching. He was not only was he at the game, he was setting two rows or maybe it's row one right at the end of the bench with the athletic director, Greg Byrne. That's a high profile seat that gets caught on television. There's video of Nate Oates. 
There's video of Nick Saban. There's video of Nick Saban walking down the baseline to talk to John Calipari pregame. Nick Saban was not only there at the game. In the past when he's gone, his seats are a little further up at half court in sort of a darkened area of mm. Coleman Coliseum. Greg Burns' seats is at the end of the bench. Very big spotlight. He's sitting with the athletic director. One game he's sitting with PGA Pro Justin Thomas. And every camera is on them. Every fan can see them. If Nick Saban had a problem with anything going on at the University of Alabama, he would have not inserted himself into that situation. That's my opinion. At the very least, it's a bad choice of words. It's a bad choice of words. I mean, it was a bad choice of words when Nate Oates said it. It's a bad choice of words, given the way that things played out at Alabama, for Nick Saban to say that with a disciplined player. I think we can at least agree on that. Is that fair? Well, no, I, I don't think it was a bad choice of words by Nick Saban because he was saying you can't use that as an excuse. Was it a PR misstep? That's what um, I mean, yeah. Nick, I, don't, I don't think Nick Saban would say that because Nick Saban would tell you, I'm talking about my team, my discipline, my players, and outside of outside of um, my football program, I don't know what the hell is going on uh, else in the world. You're talking about a coach who – you know, famously was asked leading into a national election, are you guys going to you're going to give your guys uh, off on Tuesday so they can uh, they can go vote? And he was like, what's going on on Tuesday? It was a national election. <laughs> um, he's a guy who did not take time to go meet the president of the United States when he was coaching at Miami because he had filmed a breakdown when the president wanted to spend some time with him. He stayed at the offices and said, no, thank you. I'm not going to go meet the president. I'm going to stay here and break down tape with the Miami Dolphins. The guy has this tremendous tunnel vision and really doesn't like to do a lot of other things except spend time with his family, football and golf. So he he does a lot of that. So I believe he knew what he was saying. He just didn't think it involved anything else outside of his football program. And he absolutely believes with his team when it comes to discipline. You can't make excuses for things that go on. I think it's it it brings up a bigger picture question to look at the dynamic with football and basketball coach and how and I dug into this really deep I think it was last year or 2 years ago whatever it was but it's super rare to see that basketball coach and football coach who coexist at the same time when they're both at the top of their profession. And right now, Alabama is getting to that place. And obviously, you know, we're recording this before Alabama Sweet 16 matchup. And there will be there will be a lot of things that are said and written about Nate Oates and his future in this sport and what that looks like. But, you know, you kind of look at Florida, what they have with Urban and, and Billy. That was still only six years Thad Mata, Jim Trussell, ah, okay, all right, maybe for a little bit there, but still difficult. Stoops and Cal have kind of had what every athletic director dreams about, but at the same time, there's been friction, there's been a lot of friction there for the last year. C can Alabama have this maybe this 10-year run with a top 10 coach in both sports? Is that something that is now possible that we wouldn't have said probably at any point during the Nick Saban tenure? You know, I've seen it happen, you know, recently with Florida when Billy Donovan was there going back to back. They were they were elite at football at that time as well. Uh, I would encourage your viewers and the folks that read you to go back and uh, look at just look it up on YouTube. Bear Bryant and just just search Bear Bryant sitting on the end of the bench of a basketball game. I think it was either an NIT or an NCAA tournament game, but I think it was an NIT final in New York. Uh, back when C.M. Newton was the coach in the 70s. And Bear Bryant, who was also athletic director, thought it was so important in such a big game that he went to New York with the team and sat on the end of the bench with his houndstooth hat on. Um, and from reports, worked the officials 
in the game on behalf of Alabama. And that's Bear Bryant back in the day. Um, Wimp Sanderson, who I think uh, with CM Newton's, you know, the two best basketball coaches before Nate Oates, was really good in the 80s. Um, and Alabama football post Bryant was very average. And then you get to the Godfrey years, which they went to the Elite Eight. Meanwhile, Alabama was going through a really, really bad time pre-Saban. So I don't know if it can coexist at a place like Alabama. It's been so football heavy uh, and such great football success over the years. But the setup is there. Alabama's had great success in basketball. I think if you go back and look historically, it is the second winningest program in the SEC behind only Kentucky. But I've never had to see you know, a football program and a basketball program with the way it is now have to feed so many hands with so much money. You're talking about NIL money. You talk about um, uh, facilities and things like that. In fact, Alabama needs a new basketball arena. Badly. In Nick Saban's time, they've expanded Bryant-Denny Stadium, it seems like, every year with new suites or anything. Meanwhile, you're waiting on some new newness with the basketball arena. But I will tell you what will help Alabama basketball is that there are a bunch of deep pocket boosters at Alabama who are equally as passionate about basketball as they are football. And in NIL, you don't have to give as much money to get a good roster as you do in football. I mean, you got to pay for a lot of players NIL wise in football. You don't have to pay for that many in basketball. And I was you know, told last year that Nate Oates was very happy with the NIL money available for his basketball players and the roster that he can put together. And I think you've seen that with so many newcomers on the court this year. So maybe they can coexist. It's happened at other places, but not a lot. In fact, going back to Bear Bryant, the reason he left Kentucky was because of Adolph Rupp. And Bear Bryant wouldn't get what he wanted at Kentucky, so he went somewhere else. Lon Kruger, Florida, mid-90s. Lon Kruger, Florida. Steve Spurrier, he's like, look, I'm going to go to Illinois. It's it's basketball school. Like the, the, this dynamic exists, and I'm curious how this plays out now with more money than ever that's involved. And there there are going to be hurt feelings at, at certain places who don't feel like they're getting what football is getting. And, and it's going to be interesting because yes, there's more money available, but there's also bigger egos and bigger things that are, that are at stake. And there are so many teams in the SEC, so many programs that feel like they're kind of on the precipice of this. And I know Auburn fans kind of feel like that as well with the success of Bruce Pearl. Tennessee and Arkansas are, are two that obviously come to mind. They have a really good chance to kind of join that group of having that elite basketball and football coach at the same time. But, you know, they're still kind of early in that process. But, you know, I, I, I've been trying to think about like the – the name for an elite basketball football coach combo. But I, I've been struggling to come up with this because I've done these rankings for like five or six years in a row or something like that with SDS, but I can't come up with a name. Do you have like a name for it? There, there's got, it can't just be, Oh, it's an everything school. I know it gets thrown around there, but like a, like a one, two punch something. I, I don't know. There's gotta be a name for this. Oh, I'll need to think on this. Are we, are we talking like the old movie base basketball where they yes. combine baseball and basketball together? Yes, exactly like that. Okay, I will work on that. I got six hours on the road to Louisville. I'll try to come up with a a name for your trophy because you could give it out every year. The best combo basketball football could be the Conor O'Gara trophy that you give out. And maybe, you know, sadly in your passing, we'll just eventually call it the Conor O'Gara trophy. I'm I'm on board with that. If if I could put my name on any one specific thing, that that is it right there. That would be that does. By the way, that sounds like you would be the uh you know, the best skater in the Eastern Conference of the NHL, the Connor O'Gara trophy would be really good. I don't know that there are a lot of like Irish 
legitimate <laughs> star hockey player. Connor McDavid oh, actually point. is he have like Irish roots somewhere there, but yeah. Okay. I like that. I like that. Uh, okay. One more thing before I let you go here. Uh, Ty Simpson's going to be the guy, right? Um, that is, uh, every indication I get, but you know, as we discussed on the next round, Jalen Milrow was the guy who got to start last year when Bryce Young couldn't play. He was the starter for the game, but as the season progressed, everything we kept hearing from camp, um, I won't say it was to the level of Tua Tungvaloa when Tua was the backup. And finally they switched in the second half of the national championship game, even though we've been hearing all year long that man Tua's outperforming so-and-so in practice but as the season progressed last year we kept hearing Ty Simpson Ty Simpson Ty Simpson what he's doing in practice and um so the belief is uh Jalen Milrow's got more experience in game in, in moments in the games actually with a win in the win column as starting quarterback but for what they're going to try to do offensively this year it does look like it's Ty Simpson I'll be shocked if it's not Ty Simpson Week two when they play Texas at home. Now, Nick Saban traditionally um, will not name a starting quarterback here in the spring. You'll go into the fall, and he has gone into the season. Even A.J. McCarron went into his season um, as a guy who wasn't hurts. the starter. Played, uh, hurts himself. I mean, you play the first game, and then when you get to the first meaningful game, there's a definite starter out there. Okay, last, last one, and I'm terrified at the answer of this. A Jim Dunaway road trip snack. What what kind of combo are we talking about here? Well, I'm a sweet and salty guy. Okay. Uh, right. So I don't eat normal popcorn. I like kettle corn. I like to, when I'm at the movies, I will take normal popcorn and I will throw, what is it? Is it the sugar daddies or the milk duds? I'll throw milk duds in there to where in the darkness I'll grab. And I don't know, am I putting salty popcorn? Am I putting the chocolatey stuff in? Is it a combination of both? Uh, so I, you know, I like a good chip on the road, uh, like a good Sour Patch kit on the road. I like a good M&M, uh, peanut M&M on the road. So I mix it up a little bit. And uh, so it's good. I'm driving or I would uh, also throw in a little Bud Light as well. But but since I'm driving, I'll leave all, all the other adult beverages to anyone else in the car. Salty and sweet. Take five. I'm I'm addicted to take fives right now. They are I think they might be better than the original Reese's and I might get in trouble for saying that. I don't care. I love take fives that much. Yeah. Take fives are really good, but they can't come into my house because my wife is the, she loves nothing but the specialty Reese's cups that come out, the bunnies, the bells, mm -hmm. and she ranks them like she would do a very T Bob a bear, like ranking of which ones are the best and which ones are the worst. I don't think she likes the Christmas tree. There's one peanut butter to chocolate ratio that drives her crazy too much peanut butter, which I enjoy. Yeah. My, my wife says the same exact thing. That's, that's a huge factor in the Reese's. Yes. Love it. Uh, we'll save travel. We get them together while you and I go play golf one day. Let's do it, man. The next round. That's a golf company. Apparently <laughs> love it, Jim, uh, safe travels. We'll talk soon, man. All right, man. I'll see you. What's my destiny, Mom? You're going to have to figure that out for yourself. Life is a box of chocolates, Forrest. You never know what you're going to get. Figure it out. Let's do the thing I do best. That is, things that I do better than 99% of people. It's good to have a little self-confidence that you do something better than 99% of people. Well, what's the thing that you do best?
man, I'm actually kind of a generalist. I, I don't even really know the answer to this question. I think that um, I really pride myself in like kind of like project management and just management in general, which is like a really boring answer. Um, but I'm I'm really like versatile. If, if I mean, maybe that's it, right? Maybe I don't have one thing and so my versatility is the thing that I do better because I was telling you I was running, I said this at the top too, but like, I'm, I, you know, was running a camera last night. I can do like lead meetings. I can do all this stuff and I can do everything pretty well. So I think that is the thing I do best, even though it's not one thing. I think you are a great troubleshooter. Mm-hmm. I think you're elite at troubleshooting. You and Lauren both, perhaps that's why you guys both have very significant roles in my life, mm-hmm. are both elite troubleshooters in ways that I will never be in this life. I have accepted that. I think you are 99 percentile troubleshooters, and that is a great skill. It is a great skill to be able to take a situation and say, what is the problem or what do I need to do? I can figure this out. Like that is, you can do that and not panic and not have this freak out that I do this internal, oh my God, you're going to die if you don't figure out why your microphone's not working or why you're not able to get reception in the middle of your house on a Tuesday afternoon and why you have to go outside. Why can you not do these things? I freak out. You and Lauren don't. I admire that. I really do. I I feel like I'm an intensity understander. I was told the other day I could be a little bit too intense. I was like, no, I feel like I'm pretty much the proper amount of intense. Most of the time I'm very chill. But when I'm intense, listen, because I don't want to be intense. (laughs) Very true. I think Lauren, I could put her in, I could put her in, in China in a and like just without any sort of phone or anything like that and she would just find a way to figure it out and mm-hmm. thrive not just survive and and make sure that she's able to to learn the language to be able to speak and it's not even so much about learning a language but you could just stick her in any situation and just figures it out just so it would just be owning a corner store in china just yes. like becoming one with the culture the most successful store on her, on her block yeah just like telling a bunch of people what to do just being a boss walking in there and it's like wait you're not from here what how did you how did you do all this and she just lauren is just 99 percentile on getting stuff done mm-hmm. truly elite just getting stuff done um the thing that i think i am best at telling stories i mean telling stories i think that's you can stick me anywhere and I can find a way to tell the story of a subject matter. And this profession kind of forces you to do that, especially the way that most people in this business start out. Like I'll never forget first time covering a game, newspaper job in Nebraska, drive like 25, 30 minutes, pull up to the smallest school I've ever been to, crowded gym. I've got to keep all my own stats on a news on like a, you know, like a, a, a notepad, not the Iowa notepad. That's before the Iowa notepad, mm-hmm. but a notepad nonetheless. And like you pray that a program gives you or that a like a, a school gives you a program with all like the right stats and stuff like that mm-hmm. um, that has or that has everyone's name and number. That's all you can ask for. And you don't get stats. You just get name, number, maybe something on max preps if they have it. And you can figure out who a team's leading score is. But I, I go into this situation knowing I've never talked to these coaches. I've never talked to these high school kids. I know so little about them. And it is my job in that moment to keep every stat, track down people I've never met before, before they leave or head to the locker room, ask insightful questions, drive back to the newspaper office, write maybe 700, 800 words, tell that story of the night, make sure I get the box score right. Because if I don't, Mr. Abbott is going to call the newspaper and tell him that his son, Jimmy Abbott had 10 rebounds, not nine. And you're going to hurt his chance at a scholarship. And then I've got to package that in a way that designing sports just has to be able to tell that story in that way. You know, like I can't tell you this was a Super Bowl. I can't tell you that this was also 
a little tiny blurb that goes on the agate page where the NBA standings are, and you could miss it if you flip through the paper quick enough. I've got to tell the story in that way as well. You do things like this, you learn how to tell stories. You learn, you force yourself to realize what matters, what do I need to pay really close attention to, what do I just need to listen to and understand and communicate that into the world. And that is something I pride myself on. And I have been doing this for now a while and whatever format that may be, I can tell stories and that's that beneficial. It's somewhat beneficial. It's not going to teach me how to put together a play set for my daughter, but it's going to allow me to be able to hopefully serve some sort of purpose in this grand scheme of things. And that we call life. I think some people have an ability to do that. And I think I'm fortunate enough to be one of those people. Yeah, I think um, I think our partnership works because we're functionally just paid in Eli Manning. I think that you're a great preparer. Um, I think that whenever you have a goal, I'm Peyton. At, yes, um, I think that, right. I, I'm very clearly Eli in the situation. <laughs> That, uh, you know, I think that when you have a goal, like if I gave you, you know, uh, six months train for a marathon, you would like chunk that out. And I think that yep. that's related to the to the storytelling thing. I think you're really good at chunking things out. I think you're good at instead of procrastinating or front loading things. I think you're good at, OK, I need this amount of work done by this amount of time. I'm going to do this every day, this every two days and to get here. And it, it's I think that's an underrated skill and it helps us with the podcast because it's like. Uh, it's not just a, a deluge of information. It's, it's, I don't think I've ever come on here and you've been unprepared, number one. And then number two, the way that you kind of break stuff down, I'm just like, okay, like it's not just nothing. It's not just filling time. So like, yeah, I think you get to the heart of stuff, which is what makes you good at telling stories. And and that's like, that's, that's all I've ever wanted to do. Just find a way to tell interesting stories, communicate them to the world, captivate them. And like whatever, whatever sport, I mean, even last week is a good example I'll be honest with you. I'll level with you guys. You listen to this podcast. You know kind of the content that we produce. I'm not our basketball expert. I'm not. That's not my thing. I can't tell you that I watched a bunch of Duke games. I watched some Tennessee basketball during the regular season, of course. I keep up with the storylines. I follow all of it. I read our great news content. And I stay informed on everything. But am I knowing the ins and outs of of this team and that team and, and knowing what exactly I'm getting into? No, but I learn and I prepare. And when I get to a situation like that, where I'm like, all right, I'm going to be covering these teams for four days, better figure this crap out. I better figure this out because I'm here on my company's, you know, my, I'm spending my company's time and I want to make sure that I'm representing this in the best sort of way. And I'm not going to be out here like an unprepared idiot. I better know what I'm talking about. And some people might get in a situation like that and just crap the bed and others won't. There are Billion other situations, I'm crapping the bed. <laughs> there are, I promise you that. City council meeting, I'd be like, I, maybe I'd figure it out, but not my thing. Not my, not really my thing. But yeah, that's that. That is what I think I I bring to the table, and that is always going to be be an asset. Um, other things, I think I'm elite at simple math. I'm really good at that. You give me multiplication tables, buddy. Mm-hmm. We used to do Mad Minutes back in the day, fourth grade. Shout out, Mister Wilson. Hope he's doing well. When we got to division in fifth grade, those, I have like this, this sense, I can see that number. What number gets me to this place? My brain clicked in a different way when we saw division. And though I would breeze through those timetables, for some people, it's like backwards for them in their brain. And it takes them that extra few seconds to process it. Me, mm-mm. elite, always will get that. 
Have I ever told you my thing about how I calculate tips? Yeah, you do uh, 10% and then divide it and then multiply by two, right? Move the decimal and double it. Yep. It's like my favorite thing ever because it's like, this is easy, bop, bop. It's like the quickest math in the world. And like I, people think out tip calculators and like you're insane. Just No, just you're right. Enough. I do that all the time too now. Like mm-hmm. I, I, I don't know, like if it's 20%, maybe I'll just add a little bit more to it or something like that. But did that at dinner last week. Yeah, same exact thing. It mm-hmm. works. Um, I make an elite grilled cheese sandwich. I do. The key... Now we're just talking about things. Now we're just hyping ourselves. Okay, I think a bean bowl of Cheerios. All right, let's. Don't you say so? There is some skill. There okay. is some skill. I'm gonna give you a little secret here that I learned from the famous Guy Fieri. Not Guy Fieri. It's Guy Fieri. You got to dome it. If you dome the top of your pan, or maybe you're cooking a little flat iron, something like that, you got to dome it to melt the cheese. Uh, if you're saying, all right, what do I get? Maybe get a little condensation in there. You mean put you a, put the lid on it? You put the lid on it. Or That's if you don't have right. a lid for that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Maybe you put uh, like, you know, if you got like a, a cookie sheet or something like that, you can put it right over the pan. Same thing. Add a drop of water into that pan. Not so much that you're going to get soggy bread or something like that. You add that drop of water and then you dome it. You create that condensation. You're going to melt your cheese. If you bite into a grilled cheese and the center of it doesn't have melted cheese, what the hell are we doing here? What are we doing here? Mm-hmm. Nobody asked for that. I asked for a grilled cheese. You melt that stuff. That's why I'm a lead at it. Yes. Attention to detail. Next time we hang out, you got to make me a grilled cheese. So. <laughs> Get the dome. Do it. Got to dome it. Got to dome it, bro. Green chili turkey burgers. Elite. Um, okay. Now, hold on. Now, we're, we're going to make a lit because that sounds delicious as well. <laughs> anyway. Not an original recipe. Is where's Where is that from? I think that's a Budget Bites recipe. Shout out Budget Bites. Um, sweet meat chili. That's from my SEC cookbook. I execute that flawlessly. A little bit thick. A little Texas Pete barbecue sauce. You know what I'm talking about. Right. Um, I'm gonna leap mower the lawn. I think I do that at a very high level. Um, here's something. And speaking of restaurants, I think I am excellent at finding out what a restaurant does best and ordering that thing. I think I am exceptional. I never get what I call menvi. Menvi is a combination of the words menu and envy, meaning I look at Lauren's plate and I say, crap, I should have ordered that. That's menvi. I don't get that. Really rare feeling for me. Did you Others, make that word up? I did make that word up. That I did. I'm going to use that. That's what I've learned today. Forget everything else you said. That's rad. I'm taking that. Menvi. It is yeah. a thing. It is a thing. Yeah. Others get menvi when they see my plate. So I order, I order right. I do. I'm sorry. I, like Even if it's something new, I've never tried it before. I got a process. There's a certain way that they, that they list it on the menu. It doesn't always have to be the first thing, but you could tell looking at pictures, you do a little bit of homework. I'm not sitting there doing full Peyton Manning homework here, but there's a certain process that goes into it. You do a little bit of homework, a little bit of research. You're going to be happy. I, I think I'm going to lead at that. That's all I got. Yeah, <laughs> I guess I, I feel like that's to do this. Um, I yeah, all mine's like film production stuff, and then like I said, I just I, I really I enjoy like um I enjoy helping people meet their goals, man. That's like one big thing about me, and I like communicating that. with people the way that they 
like to be communicated to. And it's like, you know, with a person like you that, you know, my, I have a, a chaos element, like Chris Brady is a great example. He is a chaos cluster. Okay. When I talk to him and when I talk to you, I'm completely different people because that amount of chaos would make you uncomfortable. True. And so it's pointless for me to bring that amount of chaos in your life when you're a calming presence on me. And so I'm like a vibe reader. And then I'll kind of like, and that's why like I, when I was younger, I was really bad with groups because I could lock in on one person and pick up their vibe and kind of mirror that. But when I was like at a lunch table, for instance, I was like, who do I want to be today? When I was like in mm. high school and like, so now I've kind of had my own vibe, which is a lot better, obviously just be yourself. Wow. Crazy thought. Um, But like, I guess I just like didn't really like myself for a while. And so I would always play off of other people. And so I'm just pretty much, I can be kind of what anyone wants me to be. Um, I can be professional. I can be chill. I can be whatever. Um, But it's, it's, it's from kind of empathy and understanding. If that makes sense. That's deep. And I don't mean to, I don't mean to put humor into this, but what what does Andy from The Office call it? I call it personality mirroring. It's essentially that's that's kind of like what you've described, but I, I do that too. I, I talk a different way around certain people and my tone will sometimes change. Even when I'm alone doing this podcast, my tone will change. We've talked about that before. My yep. tone with you is different than when it's just me and a microphone or something like that. Right. I think everybody does that to a certain extent. But yeah, we do get insecure uh, about that. You're an elite hype man too. Appreciate you, you, man. you will hype people up in a way that very, very few people I've ever come across in my life are capable of doing. And that, that my friend is a skill. Well, communication I've always said is on the communicator, right? So if I say something to you and you don't pick it up, that's my fault. It almost doesn't matter how, and not you personally, but whoever the subject is, it doesn't matter the level of aptitude. And I was talking about that with my sister. It's like, even in meetings, I put things in layman's terms and that maybe has hampered my career because I don't like to do the whole like big words, intimidating thing. It's like, if I can't explain something to you, like I'm five or like you're five, then I don't really understand it. And so, yeah, I, I, I really appreciate that. That feels really good to hear that I'm like a good hype man. Um, but yeah, I'm really like, and I think that part of like, like I said, just not being sure of who I was younger or when I was younger has made me a way better manager now because I can put myself in almost anyone's shoes. You know what I'm saying? If I can't explain menvy to you, I'm exactly. not communicating this well. Exactly. What are you doing? It, it helps when you're going into these concepts, right? When you're going into passing offense, you know, zone defense, it's like, well, I'm not just going to sit here and just go, you know, boom, 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 and just jargon you to death. I don't like it when people do that. Just break down the three, three, five in layman's terms. That's, exactly. that's all we need. Yes, exactly. Saturday on South podcast. We've got some great responses in our Facebook group. Join that if you have not. Let's start with this one from Dave Kozar. Dave says, for me, it's remembering random athletes from 20 years ago for no apparent yes. reason. This Talking is a, about some guys. Oh my God. This is a, a dude's rock thing through and through. Uh, my wife says I have a lot of useless knowledge like that, so it's not surprising. When my buddy Ben came in town about a month ago, I was like, I wonder if I still have that in my brain where we're just going to get to that point where we start listing Cubs infielders from the 1990s and the early two thousands. And don't you know what we did? I think we went through like the entire Bulls starting lineup. And I think we went through, yeah, we went through their entire roster. They're like 2011 team. Um, that's just a part of you. If you consume sports, th there's no way to filter that out. And trust me, I would, I, I would That's absolutely good, yeah. filter it out. I, I don't like that. I can tell you about, you know, who played point guard for the Miami heat in 1997. All right. I, I don't, I don't want to know that Isaiah Ryder 
was a real disappointment once he got to the Timberwolves. I need to get that part of my brain gone because I have useful things that I can't remember. I do. I really do. And when my wife says that to me and she's like, okay, so you can tell me that this, this, and this happened. And this was the result of game six of the NBA finals, 1997. But you can't tell me the thing that I told you, the one thing I told you to do today. Guys everywhere, you know it. There needs to be a filter. Someone invents a brain filter for us. I don't want to get rid of all of it. Some happy Mm -hmm. memories there. There are some darn happy memories. I just want to get rid of the stuff that no longer serves a purpose other than having this conversation or maybe being able to have that random conversation at the bar with a person that I'm probably not going to talk to like for the rest of my life. Yeah, I wish that we could clear out our brains like computer hard drives and just sort by like most useful, right? And and you know, going to talking about some guys. My my favorite is guys like Andre Miller and Ish Smith that have they're combined to be like 15 guys. You know, you think, oh gosh, who's the point guard for this team? Oh wow, that was Ish Smith. Oh, what about this guy? Well, that was also Ish Smith. Well, if it wasn't Ish Smith, it was probably Andre Miller. And so, like, yeah, but no, and and, and the favorite are like guys um like Ubaldo Jimenez, who are good for you know six months and they're the best players. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? And it's like, oh, this the guy that you think is a guy, or he he you think he's the guy, but he turns into just another guy. That's my favorite kind of subgenre of some guys. I this is this is gonna sound bad. I know this is gonna sound bad. I used to have a blog back in my early days when I'm just okay. thinking, get reps, get yep. reps. If I recommend nothing else for anybody in this business or you're trying to get in this business, get reps and whatever you do, and don't care if six people read it. I used to write a blog that I I think I don't I don't think it's on the internet anymore. I wrote headlines and I tried to rhyme every single headline. I once wrote a blog about Ubaldo Jimenez in which I said, Ubaldo found it like Waldo. And it was about those six months. Okay. Let's be honest. Unfortunately, that's kind of a bar. It's kind of a bar, right? I I would love to make fun of you for that. But if Jay-Z said that people would like it. So I, I'm sure there are much cornier things that you said. That was probably one of the heaters from that blog, but unfortunately I have to respect it. I am 99 percentile at coming up with, with Ubaldo Jimenez rhymes. There you go. That's what you do. But yeah, listen, if you need like a little bit of a, a little, uh, not, not a slow look, it's like a haiku of baseball guys. Yep. You're the guy. Gary Gaetti. We could, I could do that all day, man. All day. Just so much useless knowledge up there. Yes. It's bad. Um, Austin Foster says, I am elite at procrastination. I put the pro in procrastination. Are there benefits to procrastinating? Where, or I should say, where are the benefits to procrastinating? I'm uh, just chronic procrastinator. And, uh, the only benefit, it's mainly 99% negative. Sometimes things will just figure themselves out in ways that you can't anticipate, but that's pretty much it. If you are trying to start an intermittent fasting diet, (laughs) procrastinating on eating, I guess that's good. Yeah, you might lose weight. You might also just pass out. There's you no might also just pass. Yeah, that's true. Okay, somebody, somebody's going to let us know. Good thing to procrastinate on. There's something probably, yeah. which it's beneficial, which one person did one time and thought, oh, I should apply this to all areas of my life. Like the one year in 2020 when the tax deadline got pushed back like six months and everybody that procrastinated was like, hey, free extension. How about that? How about deciding whether or not to have a football season in 2020? And procrastinating on that and not just going rogue a la Kevin Warren and just saying, hey, let's let's not play football. We're going to do it. 
Well, listen, but his team, you know, they played, what, seven games, and they still made the championship. So, honestly, Kevin Ward procrastinating might have worked out because they would have lost one of those games like they do every year. Because guess what they do every year? They lose one of those games. (laughs) Kevin Ward didn't procrastinate, though. That's my point. Oh, he was ahead of it? Yeah. He was ahead of it. The other conference commissioners procrastinated and benefited from it. Maybe that's it. I don't know. All right. Um, Emery Picker says... Fire sprinkler inspections and troubleshooting them. That is a good skill. That's a really good skill to have. I'm in an extremely niche field, but it's taken seven years, a total of 10 licensing tests that have 200 or more questions just to be able to apply for all of the licenses that I have. There are less than 1,000 inspectors in the country with my set of licenses. I'm licensed to do any sort of water-based fire protection work and fire alarm work. That is super beneficial because as somebody who bought a house with a sprinkler system that was not properly set up, I would love to be able to troubleshoot that. I would love it. Had the inspector come out, they do the breakdown. They're like, Hey, to be able to get this thing running at its max efficiency so that you can water your yard. And we got a a pretty big yard, you know, corner lot and a good amount of space to be able to where, where you can actually see that um, not a lot of tree coverings over here. Guy who lived here before us, got rid of, got rid of like the massive tree in the front. Um, I would love to be able to do that. But they told us if you wanted to actually go under and dig under and do this the right way, it costs like $8,000. And I'm like, mm. I'd rather just have the skill set personally to be able to troubleshoot this like Emery has and not spend $8,000. That's too much. He also specifically does fire prevention ones as well. I was like, Hold that's, on, you that's have... good too. I was like, I'm thinking like, mowing the lawn, like right? water no, and grass. Like, you fire sprinklers your house. I was like, oh, this is yard sprinklers. Uh, yeah, Emery's an interesting one because you could like, it's funny that he says this because it's the right answer, but I would also say there are about four or five other things that I would call him randomly if I had a question about. Very useful lad. Between him and Peyton, I would love to just put them in one of those double glass rooms they have in police stations and just see what they do, see what they talk about, because just incredibly useful lads. Both ex-military. I mean, he has so many like things he'll talk about, like lifting, like grilling, like all this different stuff. I'm just like, oh, you know everything about this. This is cool. I love like he's he sends me updates on like local sports teams in Savannah. He's dialed it up there. It's just just a good, you know, that's a good example of somebody who's spending their time well, I guess is the way to say it. Shout out to Bananas. Doing mm-hmm. well. Lauren loves that content. She eats that up. Big Savannah Banana fan she is. Yeah, the uh, I, I, I love how I just breeze right past the important part of that fire sprinkler. Way different than just sprinkler to water your lawn. Um not quite as not quite as significant. We're always like one degree central. of separation from a yard conversation. You saw yeah. your chance. You're like, aha, I can talk about my yard. Always. Michael Dark says diaper changes, knowing how long it will take to get somewhere for the first time without referencing GPS. That's dangerous, man. I don't know if I want to be elite at that. That's that seems like I can get you in some trouble. Uh guessing how much my wife paid for something. Shout out prices right. Yes. Not letting memes die. Shout out Harambe and Gene Wilder. We don't get enough shout outs to Harambe, so I appreciate that from Michael. Um, do you feel like watching Prices Right as a kid made you better prepared or less prepared for what things cost? Because I feel way less prepared. 
That's a really good point, Connor. I think that that world was so different from the one that we know today, but my base level of what things cost is like all from that show. So you're just like, yeah, new car, yeah, 12 grand. You're like, not even close. It's like 45. Yes. And here's the problem. They would guess the price and you would get instantly caught up in the emotion of whether they won or lost that your brain would not process how much they actually said it was. Or if it did, it might have said, oh, that's way less than I thought that was going to be. And then you move on. But what stays in your brain was that Stacy, who had these custom T-shirts, and then she came here from Albuquerque with her eight friends. She didn't win that new set of kitchenware. That's all you think about. You don't think about the actual prices. Yeah. Just saying. My, my dumbest thing, other you know, there was that thing that went viral the other day. It's like, could you get 10 passing yards in an NFL game? My dumbest one is oh. I feel like I would have just, yeah. My dumbest one is I feel like I would have just cleaned up on Legends of the Hidden Temple. I don't know if you ever watched that show, but I feel like. I well, would've... yes, we did. Yes, we did. Lauren and I both back in the day. Uh, is it Purple Cobras? Green Barracudas? Oh, yes. The Blue Barracudas? Yes, Silver Snakes. All all of them. Yep. Yeah. Um, That was, so if if you've read this story, I think we've referenced this on the podcast before. Yes. There was a story like within the last few years that was written. These kids who were on Legends of the Hidden Temple have trauma from it. Traumatized because of course they are. Because what kind of messed up show it was because that? they went into dark rooms and they had these people in masks and stuff just chase them and pull them out. They have like PTSD from and that. They also have no concept of like money at that age, really. So it's like, why am I even doing this You're anyway? Like- do this for $300 that I'm going to get taxed anyways. Like who cares? Uh, that show is incredible though. Good reference. Will. great reference. Um, let's end with this one. Um, okay. We got, actually we got two more. Let's do two more. Grant Haney says the thing I do best is keeping 95 11th graders engaged in us history for an hour, five days a week. Holy cow. While this task may seem simplistic in nature, no, it doesn't. Teaching in a post-COVID era has become quite an uphill struggle. However, making history come alive and relevant while simultaneously getting 17-year-olds to disconnect from social media slash TikTok and partake in classroom discussion is a truly sight to behold. Uh, so yeah, it's what I do best. That's an elite skill. That is hard, man. So I'm involved with an organization down here in Orlando um, through Valencia College called Horizon Scholars. And one of the things that that I do is I have like a, you know, I have like a, a mentee, somebody that I, that I meet with um, twice a month and who's in high school and is going through a program stuff. It's a great program, great organization. Like there are a lot of things like really similar to it out there. And I've talked about it before in these airwaves. And sometimes like, you know, like every once in a while with, you know, who I have, like he'll come in and he'll tell me about his, his attention matter in that subject. And I, whenever he tells me like, yeah, it's just kind of like tough to focus or something like that. Just typical trials and tribulations of being at that age and having all those distractions. I always think to myself, I can't imagine being that teacher and having to teach you about this subject matter. And yeah, no wonder you're maybe not as engaged. That is a tough thing to have to sell. Teachers do the Lord's work. They really do. Yeah. I think like when it became clear to me is like when I started seeing you know, like, I think I would be a dope, like, college professor. Like, I think if you gave me, like, kind of, like, one group of, like, people that I could just talk to. But when you have to do, like, five, six periods and, like, have the same. Because, like, for me, it's, like, I'd just be 
like borderline Michael Scott in my one class. I'd be like, <laughs> hey, I got visual aids, I got metaphors, I got jokes. But once you get to like the third time telling that same joke of the day, it's just like, I don't want to do this anymore. I'm just going to be boring because why I feel like I'm, I feel like I'm whack now because I'm the only one who's heard these jokes. And so, yeah, like the, the consistency to be able to teach equally across that many periods is pretty cool. Yeah. And, and to keep, keep yourself from getting bored. It's got to be tough and dealing with um, the frustration. It's it's so much different now than like the the distractions of being on your phone. That wasn't really a thing. Like you weren't like texting even in in, when I was in high school that like was kind of starting to become a lot more popular, but it still wasn't at that point where you could like be texting with people over the course of the day. Now, I don't know how you keep kids off their phones. I have no idea. That seems next to impossible and much less like engaged in what you're actually talking about. So Shout out Grant. Not easy, man. Not easy. What's up with this one from Drew Page? Drew says, I am elite at turning a five-step process into a 15-step ordeal, especially when it comes to cooking. Unless it's a frozen meal, then I just don't read the instructions and just throw it in. And I'm elite at making brackets for this group. Yes, he is. I'm also elite at uh, letting Michael Dark know that for me, it's the McChicken, the best fast food sandwich. The cooking part. Can we, okay. These people that we we have, I think we have what, four or five different cookbooks in our house, something like that. Great stuff. I've referenced it before. Get great recipes from it. No complaints whatsoever. The people that make this, their their career, their passion, love it. Follow a lot of that content on Instagram. It it, it has benefited me in my life in a very significant way. All I want to know, when you're doing prep time and when you're doing cook time, in what world are you only taking 10 minutes to do all these steps? In what world do you already have chicken cooked, onion cut, lettuce chopped, garlic smashed? If you're doing the real thing, you're not just doing the minced garlic where you just take the tablespoon and you just throw it in there. All of those things, peppers chopped. I need to see, I need to see the, 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 the start, the middle, the end. I need to see that video wherein you're accomplishing this because you're 99 percentile of that i am not though and that shouldn't be in your cookbook that that's how long that process takes because when i pull out that recipe and i see prep time 10 minutes cook time 30 minutes i'm thinking 45 minutes in and out bada bang bada boom i know that was bad math those recipes are taking me at least an hour and a half probably more at yeah, least I mean- it's kind of like any specialist in anything, right? I mean, like if if I gave you like a premiere project and I was like, hey, cut up five gifts here. And that's something that would take me 10 minutes, but not knowing where any of that stuff is or how it goes in, like just being a, like a, the target audience for a book of instructions, for instance, that's not how that, work, that works ever. Because you got to like learn every step of the process. You got to go get the stuff. You got to cut the stuff. So yeah, I'm sure they're just like, oh yeah, of course I'm making this. Of course I got my garlic chopped. What do you mean? It's like, what? We didn't even know that. And when you watch all the videos, and they just have them in their um, yeah, those little, their little dishes. Yeah, those are so stupid. You just, just throw them in there. Oh yeah, I bet that'd be nice. You know, with seventeen little sauce things that are all color coded. Yeah, yeah, right. I would always watch like the I'd be like, oh yeah, this this looks really easy. It's like, oh yeah, it's because they fast forwarded the video. They've already divvied out how much they need, how much tarragon they need. I mean, goodness gracious. Anyway, made that up. I don't think tarragon's a real thing. Okay. Tarragon was it? Was it cardamom? Maybe. Of all the ingredients I picked, I just make one up. I don't. Okay, I'm gonna say that those are real because I don't want to doubt you. 
But those are the first times I've heard those words. How about paprika? Okay, that, well, that's we a real thing. For that's sure. a real thing. Okay. What about what about salts? Little NaCl. Cardamom. Was that what you said? Yes. Okay. Probably real. I'm not doubting you. I just didn't know that was a thing. Uh, I also want to say to Drew a couple of things here is number one. Uh, yeah, I mean, just an overall just good lad. Just done a, a ton for like me and just just kind of like the brackets are such a great example. Just a very very selfless dude. Uh, and then you know, and and it just you know, the group for sure appreciates the bracket. Somebody even said that. And then him and uh Michael are just a perfect pair. It's like a, a symbiosis, right? Because Drew likes starting memes, and Michael likes not letting them die. <laughs> and I just realized that when Michael said that, and so it's like Drew will say something, and Michael's like, "Now we're doing this," and they're just they're, they're in a dance now. <laughs> so like that meme will never die. It'll be ten years from now, and it'll be about the big chicken. We need both. Look, I don't want to live in a world in which we we just forget about Harambe. Yep. What kind of world is that? Come on. You need both. You need the creators and you need the people that, you know, keep the content alive, keep it on the internet, keep it, you know, I, I don't want to say keep it fresh, but just give it a pulse. You know, that's all we need. Could we do one lad of the week? I got one. Yeah, for sure. You. I got Keontae Johnson. Obvious choice. Overwhelming yep. choice. Uh, we're recording this before Kansas State plays on Thursday. So admitting i'm not like including anything sweet 16 result related to that but for my money keontae johnson is the story of the ncaa tournament just to see what this guy is doing for those who maybe have forgotten or you're like oh who's keontae johnson again uh former florida star preseason sec player of the year in 2020 oh, missed two seasons after he collapsed on the court during that florida state game december of 2020 really really scary if you're in your late 30s like maybe you're a basketball historian or something you might remember the hank gather situation that tragedy at loyola marymount uh this could have been that if not for the florida medical staff the urgency that that was treated with i can't imagine what that road back was like because it's one thing to come back from a torn acl it's another to come back from when you're not sure that your heart can take it and even if you get clearance, I don't know how one moves past collapsing on the court in the middle of a game. So it's just, it's been awesome to see him thriving with Kansas State. First team all Big 12 guy. No joke with how good that conference is. I think it is Hollywood type of stuff. Biggest win Florida fans had in the NCAA tournament was watching him hit that contested three late against Kentucky. That was their biggest win. So love me some Keontae Johnson. Um, Very similar uh, story, although we're not quite at that part of it yet. Um. Lad of the week uh, is Foster Moreau, man. Um, mm. I mean, guy that, you know, uh, nobody really thought, you know, he was an NFL player that grinded and grinded and grinded and just practice squad, special teams, working his butt off, a guy that everybody at LSU loved and respected. Um, and then, you know, he gets to the NFL and you just keep seeing his name. You keep seeing, oh, my gosh, he's you know, he hasn't putting together a nice little career. He's doing well. And, it, you know, as it as it were, you know, he's trying out for the Saints, um, you know, which is probably, you know, a dream of his to come back. Uh, to the place that kind of started the whole thing and gets uh, discovered that he has a cancer diagnosis. Um, and then Peyton called me whenever that happened, said, you know, that's serious stuff. He said, that's the same kind of cancer that um, his, his mom had. And so, you know, it's very serious. And, you know, in those situations, it just like, um, Keontae, it's like, well, obviously it's, it's, it's very bad, but either the blessing in disguise is that these guys get physicals and they're around world-class doctors so hopefully, you know, it was caught early enough, but it's just tough to just, you know, see a guy work so hard to get somewhere and be so close to, you know, either cashing in or at least having that like moment that he could look back on and then, you know, having it kind of taken from him. And, you know, he put out that series of tweets that was just a little bit, you know, 
somber and and and, and I'm not gonna say heartbreaking, sad. but very yeah, yeah, it's sad, man. It's so sad. So I just want to say, you know, it, it sucks when it's outside of your control. It sucks when it's not about missing a block or about missing a meeting. When it's about something that you, it's a genetic code. Um, so just it it just want to respect the amount of work he's done. It's uh, you know, it, it kind of goes back to what we talked about with the the Jalen Carter pod about how athletes and invincibility um mm-hmm. it, it is just the way that they're programmed to think these are two guys like in their 20s athletic peak like this stage in life and then just having that stop you in your tracks health scare that's just probably so far off the radar that like i just i, I can't imagine going through something like that and like you said Boston row super super well liked i remember when we did our tour at lsu when hester showed uh he showed uh marler and myself around and we're like we went through like the training room and, and uh, Boston Rose in there, like getting work done and stuff like that. And he dapped him up and he talked about him and he's like, he just, he loves that guy. I mean, he was so, so loved um, at LSU and hopefully that guy makes, makes a comeback and, and, you know, is able to to have more great days in the NFL head, but yes, definitely pulling for Foster Rose and Keontae Johnson, two guys, easy, easy to root for. All right. If you have not leave us a five-star review, subscribe to this podcast. Uh, follow us on Twitter at the SDS pod at set down South subscribe to our basketball newsletter. You can do that at bluechipgrits.com. Join the Facebook group, hear your name read right on air with figuring out or bold and brush. Thanks guys. Talk soon.